I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our uh, the new version of our podcast. How are you doing today, Ted? Oh, I am feeling good. How are you? Uh, good. I'm remaining indoors as per the instructions of my local government. <laughs> Remain indoors. That reminds me of that Mitchell and Webb sketch where it's been a zombie apocalypse and they're doing the game show. That's exactly the reference. Uh, <laughs> YouTube surfaced that for me recently because it is very relevant. So yeah, uh, if you want to go watch something funny, listeners, uh, go watch the Mitchell Webb sketch on remaining indoors. It is weirdly relevant right now. There's like now. four of them, right? They like get they get, they get worse. progressively worse. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if somebody on YouTube has probably lined them all up in a in a supercut, but you should find that. <laughs> and actually, yeah, I I was thinking today. Obviously, we're going to get to the heart of the episode eventually here, where we're going to discuss uh, our story and start building our our world. Uh, but uh, it seems like you know, and for the opening here, maybe we should just catch up a bit on what's going on in the world. Uh, now we're not going to be super topical about it because uh let's see we're recording this right now on april 2nd and chances are it'll be uh fair amount later than that when you listener actually hear this uh but you know i was thinking maybe we could just start with almost a mini review the future type uh episode where we just talk about like what does this mean right this like new coronavirus world we're in for for future trends um, do you have any first thoughts about that, Ted? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of thoughts about it. Um, it, it. One thing is, I mean, we don't know how many people it's going to kill, but assuming it kills a whole bunch of people uh, for a moment, um, that could directly impact the thing we were talking about on our very last Review of the Future episode, which was the population input to technological growth, right? So sure. uh, we might be losing the people who were going to solve certain technical problems um, that now we have to wait longer for a different person to figure that out. Um, Not to mention pausing the whole economy and uh, dedicating uh, resources and research to, well, specifically dealing with the virus in particular, but right. also just a lot of cases people can't work. So, uh, I mean, that's going to slow things down as well, maybe. Right, right. If if face-to-face -face interaction is really important for uh, technological uh, improvement, then that's a disaster. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we also have a lot of smart people uh, spending their time in medicine right now uh, or in related uh, pursuits trying to get people better or safe or to solve the spread or something like that. So that's a lot of people that could have been doing something else. Um, now, viruses are a, you know, uh, natural threat that's always been with us and that's going to continue to be with us. So to the extent that we now get better technology for dealing with viruses writ yes. large, uh, this could also be a very good thing. Um, I have already seen some news about uh, treatments and uh, such that are being explored that are new technologies. They're trying different uh, things that hadn't been done before. I'm not saying those things are going to work. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows yet. Whether or not the specific things work, I think the idea that we are innovating in general is a little bit of uh, hope. And sometimes a big mobilization like this, whether it's a war or in this case um, a pandemic, uh, can spur some major um, breakthroughs. So maybe we can hope for that. 
I also wanted to say something like on your first point where, yes, this might be uh, slow progress down in that it distracts us and or just kills a lot of people. This also can be an accelerator of some trends. Uh, And the two big ones that I'm thinking about, uh, which are pretty different, is, uh, is inequality and communications technology. I mean, those to me, I think, are two of the biggest outcomes that I see happening from this uh, in the near term future. Um, the first one, inequality, is just like, I mean, this is what happened. I mean, this is already a trend line that we're on. And I do think that this kind of disaster is just a sort of an accelerator for that. Uh, because, you know, when people are suffering, when the economy slows to a halt, um, we all know who ends up paying for that primarily. It's the, the already poor and disadvantaged people. Um, and just the way this is playing out already, um, you know, it's the kinds of companies, for example, that are going to be we- able to weather this transition are going to be larger companies that have more resources. Uh, and, uh, and I think in a lot of cases, like a lot of smaller businesses are are severely in danger right now. So I see this leading to more consolidation in the economy. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, we'll see what the various governments of the world do because they do have uh, an influence here uh, and they are preparing to um, wield that influence uh, as we speak. Um, But I think probably uh, their efforts will be more tuned to keeping big businesses happy. And so they're not necessarily likely to support a lot of the smaller business efforts that, um, you know, can't weather a long uh, shutdown of the economy. uh, yeah it's i think that's right i think uh you know they're going to be uh it's going to be a more unequal world because of this um (laughs) i don't know it's it's so confusing like there's so many different things that are going on at the same time the other thing that's happening with this disease right is it seems to be really uh disproportionately hitting older people and uh, that's where a lot of wealth is. So I also think we're going to see like a generational shift in wealth, um, which may actually be bad for inequality, or might, I'm not sure whether it'll be good or bad for inequality. Uh, yeah. Uh, th- that's a complicated thing. I don't know how many p- kids people have, and I don't know. I don't know the right information to make a guess about that. But, um, but I think we are going to see uh, some changeover as a result of this, um, that in wealth and in uh, who's spending the wealth and who technically holds it, uh, as well as positions of power. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's uh, going to be different, but it's very hard to predict how that goes. Well, there's sort of countervailing things, right? Because there's the, the consolidation, I think, that comes from you know, bigger companies uh, more easily surviving this. Right. Um, but then there's also... Now, again, if this is, a, like you said earlier, it sort of depends how many people die. But um, I think historically, uh, like, you know, the Black Plague and stuff in, in Europe actually, you know, <laughs> led to an in- increase in equality, right? Like, it actually, like, created more, like, a surplus of resources, just, you know, morbidly because so many people were killed off that there was more left for, for Yeah, because generations. it created, like, Malthusian slack, right? Like, yeah. that was at a time when Europe was pretty much at carrying capacity and then just killing off a vast swath of the weaker people, <laughs> um, you know, basically just made everybody who was left better off. 
I, I mean, I don't know how analogous is that. I mean, are are we? I don't. Really I don't know that that is that kind of Malthusian world anymore. Or are we in this other kind of world where like more people means more stuff, which means more carrying capacity, uh, and so any disruption of that virtuous economic cycle is just sort of a death sentence for you know, some X number of poor people or something like that. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I'm leaning towards the latter. Yeah, I mean, that's what it seems more like to me, but it's very hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, and the other thing that I mentioned is, is communications technology. Right. Um, and it's funny because, uh, you know, a new technology comes out and things are possible, but then it takes a lot of time for businesses to actually adopt it. And this, right now we're seeing like massive adoption of, you know, like uh, telework and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Zoom is having a, a good uh, yeah. couple of months. Yeah. Um, and there's just, I, I got to imagine there's going to be increased investment um, in, in maybe in virtual reality and, and all kinds of online communications. Um, or, or at the very least, uh, we're forcing all se- kinds of segments of society to adopt this stuff that had been maybe dragging their feet about it. And so I think that is going to accelerate the progress of that technology, which is maybe a positive. Although, again, that also feeds back into the inequality thing, because that sort of also accelerates other things that go along with that, like the superstar economics of everything being uh, online, essentially, right? Right. Um, The more kinds of work that we move online, uh, the more easy your the easier it becomes for you know superstars in a given field to sort of dominate it um so uh you know amazon is always the most convenient example here and of course they're having a a a great time right now i mean i'm maybe maybe their sales are down overall because spending is scared or well they're having like worker stuff going on right at the moment i mean there's worker walkouts and things yeah i mean by the time you hear this but yeah it's they're they're having the um the kinds of problems that come with unprecedented growth basically (laughs) but yeah i mean more or less like when everyone's stuck in their houses and just needs to order stuff like you know that just accelerates them taking over all of retail right again that's more of the consolidation that i'm talking about right well they've literally forced their competitors to close (laughs) so yes yeah yeah they're Um, definitely benefiting from that well, that's the thing is it's easier for these bigger businesses to stay open right now when mm-hmm. uh, like uh, with smaller businesses are literally being commanded to close and they can't, they don't have the lawyers to fight that. Yep. Um, but then the other thing that where the communication technology advances feedback into inequality maybe is with outsourcing, right? Because again, the more comfortable people get, the more comfortable like bosses get, for example, that they don't need people coming into the office and so on, the more comfortable customers get with the idea that they can uh, be served all kinds of services online. So you mean um, uh, globalization? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter where your workers live if they can, right. if if everybody's doing more transactions and right. services online. Right. Well, and if yes, so I, I mean, this is the sort of trajectory I've been imagining. Is that uh, telecommuting uh, has really failed to take off? Right, even though it's worked for the last ten years or so, um, and. I, in my experience, just anecdotally, that's been bosses who were opposed to it, not workers. Workers basically right. like it. Um, but bosses felt that it deprived them of certain surveillance opportunities that they could get in an office. Yes, and, and I agree with that, that as well. Right. But I think this is forcing people to try it. And I think what bosses are going to find is that they actually have quite good surveillance technology <laughs> um, at their fingertips. So then that's step one is that they... Uh, 
they, everybody has to go home. They are start, start working from home. Bosses realize that work. And then they start to think, well, what do we need to be paying all this money for an office building for, right? Maybe we can have a smaller office or no office. And we can just have all of our workers bring their own office. You know, they're already bringing their own computers in a lot of places. Now they can bring their own everything. We don't have to provide any of that except for some, you know, virtual infrastructure that they can log into. Gig office workers that are like, uh, you know, part of the sharing economy. Yeah, well, and they can be gig in literal sense, like the way you pay them, or maybe they're still on a salary, but they're just, they, you're not paying any of the money to provide them with perks and everything. They just stay at home and they go to their own gym or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, that then the next step from that is, well, why do those people need to live in San Francisco or New York or Los Angeles or wherever yes. they live? They can live in Fresno or Des Moines, Iowa or, uh, you know, Djibouti <laughs> or, you know, uh, yes. and, like, yes. and then at that point it's like, well, as long as the internet is good, you can live on a houseboat, you can live anywhere. So then you get to, I think the thing you're talking about, which is just straight up globalization, like just having um, your workforce completely distributed around the globe, potentially uh, with few or no actual office buildings that you have to maintain at all. Um, you could run an entire multinational company and this has been possible for a long time but if people get used to doing it um you know that could have significant knock-on effects because right now that's one of the things that puts a lot of money into property rents and you know the kinds of the cities and places they build things they um do things for their workers and they do things for their communities uh, and if they find that they can just operate in a more distributed way, uh, that could have a long-term effect, you know, of like losing a major public spender. Um, that would have to losing, be wait, losing a major public spender in what sense? Like in the sense that like uh, Citibank or um, Apple or Google or any of these places, they spend a lot of money um, b building uh, facilities that, mm -hmm. uh, they give their employees access to like gyms and stuff, you know, offices, office parks, you know, uh, skyscrapers that they have, um, offices in, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they also spend a lot of money, like in the cities that they are instantiated in, yes. uh, doing things like opening parks and, um, donating to local, you know, um, landmarks and things like that because they're, uh, institutions in the city that they're in so uh they they are involved in that way but if they become ephemeral internet entities uh that maybe have like a you know uh, a placeholder office somewhere so that their ceo can have a meeting with a ceo from another company every once in a while but otherwise all of their you know um work is done in a distributed way uh, it's harder for me to imagine them you know uh, cleaning up the parks and all that stuff, you know, like having that sense of place, uh, being the local philanthropist, the way that yeah, I mean, I de definitely, I think that's possible, or, or or like more in that direction. And again, it's instructive that like all this technology has been here; it's just been cultural adoption of it has been slow, and this really yep. accelerates that. Yep. And it's sort of a lesson for futurists everywhere that like just because something is possible doesn't mean it gets adopted unless again you have a really strong incentive to do that, which is 
uh, the the time period we're living through right now. Um, yeah, it does seem this is something that I feel like our previous generation of futurists that we sort of grew up, you know, reading and and using as models didn't quite model this. But I feel like I feel like there's like two rates of adoption. I feel like there's like a natural rate of adoption that like on a generational scale, if you grow up with something, you'll start to redesign the world to make use of it, which is I sort of think what happened in the late 90s when the first generation of people who ever had computers started to actually be in charge of some of the biggest companies and stuff. And like there was a big gain as IT technology was just adopted sort of en masse across the board by business uh, where it had been very piecemeal before that. Um, but then there's like things happen and these things, whether they're wars or pandemics or other kinds of, you know, uh, I think this happened when the terror threat happened after nine 11, like certain cultural events will cause adoption, uh, rates to, to change. Um, one way or another. I mean, you could all you could say like our adoption of nuclear had this effect, right? Like uh, Chernobyl and Three Mile Island happened, and then the adoption rate of nuclear went way down. And like uh, Fukushima happened, and then the adoption of uh, nuclear in Japan reversed, and now they don't use it at all. <laughs> um, they've shut down all of their nuclear power, and it doesn't look like they have any political will to restart it. Um, so I don't know. I think there's like uh, there's almost like two rates. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, and I, I think that's a really important way to, to look at things, and this is a really good example of, of that. Um, yeah. So I com- I completely agree. Um, should we all should we talk about some things that are maybe uh, less like big as far as trends? Because I know I I think maybe we both have some opinions on how does this let's let's bring this back a little closer to uh, to our story for a second, right? right? How does this affect science fiction stories? Well. So there are a lot of people who are writing that story that they'd been meaning to write right now, right? Like, I mean, I think this is, I think there's a lot of, there's going to be a glut of new potential content coming out sometime six to 12 months from now, you know? There's going to be a lot of people who would have been going to work or would have been doing some other thing, but they were stuck at home. So they sat down and they wrote something. And I predict, this is my... Prediction that a lot of that material is going to focus on, you know, stories of people who are trapped somewhere for some reason. Sure. <laughs> stories of people who are, you know, all in a house together and something scary is outside, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of like super now-ish pandemic stories, I yeah, think. Yeah, which may not even be like about viruses necessarily, but will be maybe about all the traditional, you know, genre things that like zombies and such that we uh, use to represent external threats. And, uh, and just, I think ca- captivity is going to be the theme of <laughs> a great many pieces come 12 months from now. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, uh, I, I, I think that's going to leak into like this, just the subconscious of everybody, including our storytellers. Yeah. Um, I do think um, it will be handled explicitly by some people too. Again, oh, yeah. just like uh, you know, let's do it. Now's the time to do like a, a very intense pandemic story. You know, I'm I'm not sure how well people will respond to that. They may want to escape from it rather than watch it. But uh, I think there'll be some of that as well. Um, I do think this interfaces with our idea, right? Because we're trying to tell 
a story of virtual people living as software and what that means. And I think to some extent, that's what we're, those of us who are trapped in our homes, but still trying to socialize or do work uh, with only a computer to interface through, um, that more closely describes our lives now than in the past. Yeah. Um, Again, we're one step sort of closer to the, the, the metaverse here. Again, we're not seeing like radically new technologies right now. It's just like we're sort of, if fully immersing ourselves in what is possible online now. Yeah. And I think, I think it sort of like points to what a, you know, uh, a truly virtual future might look like. I think that becomes easier to imagine. So I think we also might see more stories that are kind of doing what we're setting out to do, you know, more simulation stories, because that's the other side of this captivity. Your escape from captivity is the simulation. Now, I could be wrong, but I predict this may be the final nail in the coffin for the um, sort of, you know, think piece that's like hand-wringing about how communication technology isolates us. Um, because I think it's literally the only thing keeping us together right now. Yeah. It seems I, very I, hard to argue that. I feel like somebody who I will not agree with is still going to argue uh, that, you know... All of this is fine for, you know, fine for quarantine, but it's not real or some, some bullshit. Like right. The whole primacy of the real thing still hangs on, maybe. I, I mean, I, I, I think that that attitude is going to hang on. I, I think that's always a hypocritical attitude, though. Like that, I feel like that's always people saying that who, if you really examine their choices, they are not choosing to not look at the phone and their, their revealed preferences show that they like it just fine. <laughs> You know, I'm looking forward to the seeing less of those. Uh, there have been less of those, anyways. But you know, this just seems like one more thing that makes that look really stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, I don't know what else. I mean, honestly, there's a lot more <laughs> to say about this insane uh, time we're living in. But mm-hmm. uh, we do have other things to get to. Um, and actually, I do want to do some a little bit of follow up from uh from last episode. Okay. Because we mentioned a whole bunch of media. Yes. Um. One of the things we mentioned is the uh, the upload and how we want to watch that and sort of critique it because oh, it's, it exists yeah. in this space. Upload the show, yeah. I think it's no the, just upload. Oh, upload. It's just called upload. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, and so that doesn't actually come out till May first. So Correct. since we're recording this on uh, April second, we have not yet seen it. When we when we have seen it, we will report back. Um, and you know, listeners are invited to watch it as well, depending on when they hear our voices and whether it's out um yeah the trailer's out now uh yeah yeah, so you can go watch that right away yeah um i also when i was trying to explain this idea of of rules-based storytelling last time i mentioned a whole bunch of things um uh we talked about inception etc um yeah and some of these things i was going to go back to um because you know my critiques of them were not super fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't go back and actually rewatch anything, but I did go back and refresh myself on that movie. It follows the horror movie that I described. Mm-hmm. Um, and I reminded myself why I felt like that movie, which has a very rulesy premise, right? Do you right, remember? This is the like sort of STD curse sort of thing. Yeah. Right. There's a monster that follows you, you know, at the speed a human can walk. And comes to kill you unless you have sex with someone and pass it on to someone else. Remind me, is this a real monster or is it like in your mind? 
Well, only the person who is affected by it can see it. So it's more like but it is real. Okay, it yeah. is very much real. It will kill you. Yeah, its- yeah, yeah. But it's like if if only you can see it, then I consider that in your mind. <laughs> I mean, you can. Well, still it, but- you know, and this already gets to some of the things that are maybe a little unclear. Like it can interact with the physical world, like break windows and stuff. Apparently. So that's stuff that other people could. But you could also. It can break windows, and everybody sees the break broken window. That's the implication. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. (laughs) But that's also where the story gets lost in this. Talk about the thing you want to talk about. I'm sorry. Well, look, I mean, that, that's exactly like, and actually, you know what, it's funny, as I was like, you know, rereading like the plot summary on Wikipedia and, and Googling this, you, you know, who's like criticized this story with almost ex- exactly what I would have said about it Oh, who is uh, Quentin Tarantino. Ah, yes. Because he, he had almost the same perspective on this that, that I had, which is like, he liked the movie, he thought it was good, he thought it was almost great, but like it didn't fully... He said it didn't like totally buy into its own mythology. I would say it didn't fully follow its own rules, but it's the same criticism, essentially. Yeah, those sound like basically analogs for the same idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it all, it all has to do with like what the rules governing the monster are, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they're inconsistent, so we don't actually know what they're supposed to be, but the strongest indication that like most like... Like, if you were sort of take the average of all encounters in the movie and the way it's most commonly described by the characters, the rules that would sort of emerge are that this thing walks at the pace of a human, it just relentlessly comes at you to try to kill you, it's not super fast, it just, but it just, like, never stops moving towards you, it's not particularly smart, it's just, like, you know, it's like a zombie, right? It's like, right. go kill that thing, right? And, and the problem is that eventually you have to sleep. And when you're sleeping, it's getting closer and closer. So you have to like live your life sort of on the run. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that it's, you know, there's various scenes in the movie, including like a very early scene where it's like sitting in the back of a movie theater and not relentlessly walking at you. Mm. Um, so there's like multiple situations where it's not following that simple rule. And then there's other situations where it's it like doesn't not, follows. where it's not, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't follow its rules. Or, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's some better pun there. I don't quite have it. Um, I'm standing by mine. Yeah, it's also unclear like how smart it is, right? Like, uh, like again, if you take the average of scenes of how it's portrayed, it seems like the general rule is that it's not very smart. It's like a zombie. It's just like walk, go, get, kill, person, you know? But then like later scenes make you think it's like a little bit smarter. Like it's strategizing and, and using tools and things, which is which is also kind of like undermines the premise. Um uh, and it's also unclear, like, what it's vulnerable to, right? Like, it can be shot at and kind of, like, be affected by that, but it doesn't kill it. And then, like, at the end, they sort of, like, maybe, like, electrocute it or shoot it in a pool and something. It seems to slow it down, but not kill Like, it's totally unclear, like, what it's vulnerable to and how vulnerable to things it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to lay that out because that is my actual criticism of the movie is that... and now. You can defend this pretty easily, and I think the director has defended this to say, like, you know, this was inspired by by dreams, you know, and this is dream logic, right? Um, and that's fine. It's a horror movie. At the end of the day, the movie I think is still quite enjoyable. I I still think it's a good movie. Um, and so like this criticism of it is like sort of from the perspective of I would have liked it better if um it had done this other thing. But I also think there's a little more of an objective case to make, right? There, like, because dream logic, I think. That's also would be the explanation for why Inception doesn't follow its rules, right? 
I feel like that's often the excuse given for why like something that suggests uh, interesting rules doesn't then follow them, right? It's like, oh, it's just dream logic, right? Yeah. That sort of- but this goes back to what we talked about last time about like Richard Kelly and David Lynch, because there are people who do dream logic well, and the main trick that they pull is they don't explain the rules. And yeah, then, I think David Lynch is the master of doing dream logic well. Maybe. Yeah, and like Richard Kelly accidentally did it well once by <laughs> by sort of screwing up something else or something with with Donnie Darko. But 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 I feel like yeah, the Lynch movies are like the perfect example of this. Like uh, you watch Inland Empire; it's a three hour movie that is following an esoteric set of rules that it never shares with you. <laughs> So yeah. you can never say, well, that doesn't, I mean, none of it makes sense or all of it does, <laughs> you know, like there is no, there's no in between with it. You either accept all of it or you just check out. But I personally, I find that better. <laughs> I like that. Better. No, no, I, I, I agree with that. And, and I, and I like a fair amount of uh, David Lynch movies, you know, I can sort of enjoy them on like an emotional level, um, even though they don't fully make sense. Yeah. But I do think. You know, I do think there's like a like also a critique here in the sense of like there's a reason nobody like stereotypically like no one wants to hear about your dreams, right? Yes. There's like a reason now again, if you're really good at it, if you're David Lynch, like maybe it flies. But I think on average you don't want to hear about dreams because they don't follow rules, which also means that they make bad stories because the stakes are unclear, like what's happening is unclear. Like there's just I mean, really it's the the stakes, I think, is like what it all comes down to. Like when you're being told a story where there's no real concrete rules, it's just, oh, it's just dream logic, then all of a sudden it's hard to, you know, like invest in in what is going to happen because you can no longer like visualize possible outcomes and have some tension over whether or not it's, you know, one thing happens or another. Does that make sense? Yes. And this is always the, uh, the the real crux when you try to write with dreams because a lot of times dreams are supposed to tell you something when they're used in fiction, right? Like, I mean, even the Coen brothers do this. It's the one thing I don't love in Serious Man, which I think is otherwise a perfect movie, is that dream sequence where the brother is shooting something or the brother gets shot. Yeah. It's like this, I, I just, I feel like you excise that and you have a perfect movie. It, it's such a strange like what is that for it's it's like uh it's to tell you something about his psyche but if it was a real dream it wouldn't tell you anything meaningful about his psyche you know what i mean like i think that's maybe that's what well, bugs me about it is that well okay i i i guess i share a sort of distaste with you for dream sequences in general i find them sort of boring um maybe because they're overdone i i don't know if I agree with what the last thing you said, though, right? Like, I think a dream sequence can tell you about someone's psyche. Um, I think, I think it even can, your- but it's very unreliable. Like, yes, I agree it can. There are... T- but, like, if you were to take one person and somehow know all of their dreams, only a small percentage of them would be, like, psyche-revealing, I think. I- or they're generally not revealing in a terribly interesting way. Like, I feel like... Usually if I remember my dreams, if I, I don't have to try very hard to figure out exactly what the, where the things in that dream came from. Oh, I watched this show, uh, I read this book, and I'm vaguely worried about this thing, and those three things together made this dream, right? But it's never, it's very rarely some like deep, interesting insight. It's just like, 
oh yeah, I'm kind of stressed about X, and then I like recently saw a movie Y. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. I actually think dream sequences are more are better to make characters relatable than to make them to reveal anything about them because most people's dreams are similar to most other people's dreams. Honestly, I think like. You're in kindergarten, but you're not wearing pants or something. You know, it's like the details are different because we have different lives, but there's, you're somewhere and you're embarrassed. Like you're looking for something and you can't find it. Like there, you know, there are these like extremely common, often childhood related uh, things that everybody goes through some version of uh, and that are like fundamentally bothersome to humans, you know? So, uh, but, but they don't see. I don't know. It's like the specific symbolism of them is the thing that's different from person to person, but also the thing that feels least meaningful to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Like how like kind of similar they all are in a way. Yeah. Like exactly what auditorium you're in when you're feeling embarrassed or what classroom or whatever it is, you know, is, is the thing that's like more specific to you. But that's, to me, the more interesting use of a dream is like that person had an anxiety dream it doesn't almost matter what the anxiety was like it's more important for me to see the shot of them like waking up in a sweat than any of the content of the dream necessarily for me to then be like with them like oh i know what that feels like you know huh yeah that that's that's interesting yeah i, I don't know at the end of the day i i know that i tended not enjoy uh dream sequences very much but mm. uh yeah i don't think they're like totally without place and of course that's distinct from the issue of like using dream logic to explain away bad rules which is where we started from um although they are somewhat related um what is should we bring this back around to uh to our story here yeah let's like talk about the story at least a little bit today <laughs> um but yeah look uh listeners this is what it's gonna be like uh you know we're this is gonna be a much more like uh <laughs> random podcast with full of tangents and stuff i honestly we've had people ask us to do this before so maybe some people will like this maybe it's like absolutely horrifying to you and you wish we would stay on topic but um for better or for worse this is what we're doing so but anyways what we're what we're both looking at right now are some of our our notes on this world i we're gonna call this what the constellation world for now uh, sure. I mean, I think world is currently what we're calling the things that are in the constellation. But yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about the whole constellation. So all of the worlds, all of the people who have woken up, the entire simulation, everything inside the box, basically. That's what, for now, we are calling the constellation. So, uh, the first item on our list here is the economy. Right. What's the what's the economy of this world like? And I think we already touched upon in last episode the fact that, you know, if you woke up in this simulation where you had total freedom to sort of retreat to your home world and, and build your own private heaven if you want to. So there's no material scarcity at all in the system. Yeah. Uh, no doubt there'd be some number of people that would just stay in the home world. Right. Because that sounds like you could do some amazing things there. Uh, there might even be some other uh, number of people that form very small communities. Uh, maybe they get together with family members they knew before the transition uh, and get together in in a single world and sort of stay there, right? So those are not, when we're talking about the economy, 
those people are kind of not players in the economy, right? They've kind of checked out. Um, we're talking about the people that, you know, really reach out of their own home world to, uh, to touch a, a larger community of, of folks within the simulation, right? Um, and particularly if they're participating in the economy, it's because they still, they still want something, right? They still want uh, status. They still want uh, social acceptance. Uh, they still want to be part of uh, associations. They still want the attention of other people's eyeballs on them. All the things that we've, that we've talked about that, uh, that remain scarce in this kind of abundant future. Right. Um, and so this is where I think a lot of our stories, certainly like our graphic novel is going to primarily take place in this like space of economic activity, because that's where like a lot of the drama and struggle is. Right. So like what are, you know, right. The right. major objects of currency um, in this world um, or of value, I suppose. And like the two things that we've talked about are, are keys and tips. Right. Right. So, so let's talk about keys and tips and what those mean. So what do you mean by keys? So like a, a key is what we are sometimes calling a permission, but we decided like key is a nicer, shorter word that I think is going to be better in a, in a fictional context. Yeah. Um, but, but a key is a permission to do something. Okay. So it could be permission to access a particular world. Right. And that's very literally a key, right? It's the key to go into a world. So one thing we didn't maybe mention is you've got your home world, but you can also make infinite additional worlds, just like you'd create websites or something. Right. Um, so if I make a world, I don't have to let just anybody in. I can uh, set some very tight permissions that say you can only come, on, come into this world if you have a key. And that key now becomes something I can maybe trade to someone else for another key. It's like a, having a password. Um, right. But, I mean, that's the most, I think, obvious example of a key is, like, something that lets you get into a world, but you could also have a key that gives you um, control over someone's preferences, right? Um, so, let's take, a, like, a dramatic example, right? Everyone in this world has a sort of a pain slider, right, that they can, that they can move up and down. How much pain do you want to feel, right? There's no reason that that shouldn't be... In a, in a world of software beings, that that shouldn't be sort of at your discretion. Um, right. We imagine that that defaults to probably pretty low, or at least it's capped, right? Like, I mean, yeah, we sort imagine of- it's capped, but not off because there's some maybe feedback reasons why you'd want to have some ability to feel pain, but probably no one wants to feel a lot of pain. So that would be the default. And then you can change that to allow yourself to feel a lot of pain or none at all or anywhere in between. Now, as far as keys and relating to this, like we're sort of positing that anyone can generate a key that would give someone else control over a preference of theirs. Um, Well, this is something, yeah, this is something we need to sort of talk about how you're generating the keys and then can't, you know, how how do those keys work then once they're generated? And specifically, can they be revoked? Um, yeah, I would think that maybe whether they can be revoked or not is actually subject to agreement of the two parties. Like maybe that's an option, um, whether it's a revocable key or not, unless you think that's too complicated. That feels too complicated to me. What feels more simple is that everybody has like a kind of admin key for themselves. 
And whoever has that key can do things like revoke all the other keys that have to do with them. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like, it does seem like just for, in terms of security design, you have to be able to revoke keys. Because what if someone, I guess, you know, maybe, oh, it's possible that maybe that's not true. Maybe you don't need to be able to revoke keys if keys are automatically revoked by the contract in, contract enforcement mechanism whenever a contract is reneged on, right? But you would think that in a, in an, you know, you would think that in the real world you would need personal ability to revoke keys for security. Okay. But I'm not uh, sure. I don't know. It's something we need to think about. I could be wrong yeah. about this. Well, it, okay. That is a good conversation. Let's, let's ground this a little bit, okay. right? So let's say um, it's, it's exactly that kind of key. Like it's the key to my personal like pain slider or pain rating. Okay. Or pain threshold. I don't know. What do you, what's a good name yeah. for that even? Like um, uh, pain threshold. We'll just say, that works. say pain, pain control. Sure. Pain control. Yeah. All right. So uh, for whatever reason, like, you know, you, you demand the key to my, uh, my, my pain control. Okay. Right. Why? Maybe because, um, you know, uh, there's something that, uh, that I want from you. I want the key to some like popular private world that you've created. Mm-hmm. And you say like, you've got to give me something of value. Um, so <laughs> you, you demand this thing. You say, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use it, but I, but I want it. Okay. Um, and it's a sign of trust for me to give that to you, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we want that kind of trade to be possible in this world because it's dramatically interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so now, now I get to go to the cool private world, but I know that like at any moment, like you can like, you know, it, it raise my, my pain rating, which is somewhat disturbing. Maybe that's a, I mean, that would probably not be a good trade for me to make, but again, it's dramatic. Um, now you're saying if, if I can just revoke that key at any time, then I think the drama is kind of lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now if it's like what you're saying where there's still an admin key, then you could demand the admin key from me as like a really steep price. Right. And now you have control over everything. Right. Um, but that's also maybe less dramatic too, because now it's like you just get to, you basically just own me at that point. Sort right. Of, well, if someone it, gives away their admin key, it's like, yeah, they could be a prisoner in their own life. You know? Yeah. It's like all or, it's so all or nothing. Right. Um, so I do think, I do think if we're going to go the simple rule, I think we want to say that they are not revocable once they've been given. Hmm. Um, well, and then here's another way to look at it, which is maybe it doesn't actually make sense for you to be able to give me the fine-grained control over your pain response at all. Maybe instead it has to be you. I've made a world and you cannot enter this world unless your pain control is set to X number or above. And then yes, I yes. retain, so you retain complete autonomy, but you have to choose that. And the second that you set your pain control lower, the automatic enforcement mechanism ejects you from my world. And then yes. that works for me because then you can still have that dramatic situation of like, if you want to hang out in the club with the cool kids, you have to allow yourself to get hurt or whatever it is. Um, but it, it doesn't allow m- me to then like 20 years later, while you're just completely doing something else, like change your 
pain response without your control, you know, like, cause that just seems like, well, that's such an incredibly high price. Things would have to be crazy good to pay that for it, you know? So, so first of all, I completely agree with the scenario you laid out and it's it, uh, elsewhere in our notes, we talk about the idea of an entrance contract, right? When you enter a world, you have to agree to certain term, right? Right. And those um, terms could basically map to any parameter of your person, right? Cause all of those can be publicly, you know, announced if if you want um but it seems like you should be the only person who can actually change your personal preferences and that the worlds should just be able to make any demand they want of you right for entry right so so again i i agree 100 percent with that idea of an entrance contract did you did you read the like short story i mm-hmm. sent you yeah okay yeah so th- there's even i think a scene where that occurs um, so we absolutely wanted that, I guess. So then, so you're saying it would only be that, right? Yeah. And and like like I think, I think I agree with you. I guess I'm trying to think of like like try to break lose... it because I yeah I'm I yeah try to break it. See if I'm wrong, but I I have a feeling that these can be entirely controlled by the user at all times, and we can still do everything we want. And that just feels like much more secure <laughs> um right but the, now okay like, so as long as you remain in x world you have y limitations um and there's any number of reasons why you might want to remain in a world social connections etc can you give up your eject rights like when you go into a world so that like one of the things I'm giving up is the ability to eject from the world whenever I want to. I would think so. Yeah. I think you could trap yourself in a world. So that would be the, I mean, that would be the ultimate like risky thing to do because otherwise you could just, you know, I mean, yes, you may still have the dramatic tension of, I really want to be in this world, like despite what onerous like things they're extracting from me in terms of my keys. Right. But uh, the ultimate like worst thing would be I literally gave up the right to leave as I entered. So now I'm really screwed. Right. And I, that's a very interesting premise if the world has a reason for doing that. Like um, the world is advertised in a particular way and then you have to give up your ability to leave in order to go there. You do so. Then the world is bad in some way. Uh, when you get there and you want to leave, but you can't, and then there's something that they make you do or some other price that they try to extract for allowing you to leave. And that turns out to be like the real reason of the world. And the world is like sort of a trap that's been built to sort of extract that out of people or something like that. You know, like I could see a structure where that is a kind of interesting um, way that people are twisting the system. So I guess what what we're supposing is that um, every world has like a creator or like a host or an admin. Yeah, like an admin. In my mind, that's the best analogy is like an admin. What's the best term though? Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe that is host though or something. Because I think admin's a little host. bit too computery. Right. Host is like good if it's like a host or a party, but since host also has a computery meaning, it's a little confusing. Um, but yeah, a host works. So. Let's say each world is hosted by the creator or group of creators, right? Because you can do this jointly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but one or more people have these like admin rights or whatever you want to call them, host rights that are like, you know, you can change gravity, you can change the temperature, you can change anything about the world. You can set all of its parameters for who it will let in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're also supposing, I mean, sort of adjacent to this, is like the idea of like enforced contracts. Right. 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 Which, I mean, I think is important to our idea, and that's what makes this like really feel like a software world and not like the real world, right? Because you can't, we're supposing that you can't actually renege on contracts. Like when you agree to something, um, the simulation executes it like to the letter of the law, like however the simulation interprets it. Um, right. I mean, that doesn't mean there couldn't be like loopholes to exploit in the way you write the contract still, but, uh, but that general, like, so, you know, when you are the host of the world, you control it. And in a sense, like everything about it, when I, ag- maybe I only agree to enter, you know, if I maintain, get to maintain control over something, right? Like my appearance in the world, for example, that might be a common thing I agree to, right? Like I'm going to go to your world, but I, 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 I get to dictate what I look like when right. I'm there. Um, we're supposing that you have to honor that, right? That you can't just, or, or maybe we're not supposing that, right? Because I mean, it's one thing is- the other way around. We're supposing that when you set up your rules, you have to state proactively, I am not going to allow people to, you know, control their appearances here. Otherwise, it defaults to, they do get to control their appearances, right? So it's like- you know, people who come in have to meet the following criteria. If you don't list that criteria there, then the machine lets them in. And if you change your mind and you want to, you know, then you update the, then you update the, uh, the requirements, you know? Right, right, right. But the, but the changing your mind on the fly is the key thing, right? right? Can you do that once you've signed you can a quote unquote contract? Change your mind, but what we what I don't know is what happens if somebody's already entered under the old rules. And yes. I think that could be something that you could specify. You could specify these rules are subject to change at any time and you'll be prompted to update to the new terms of service at that time, right? I mean, that's how software works, right? You're using the software, you're under the old terms of service, and then one day they their lawyers decide for whatever reason they have to change the terms of service and you get a pop-up that says, before you can continue using this product, you have to agree to the new terms of service, right? So you could say that, but I think you could also screw up and not say that, and you could s- be stuck with the uh, the first 25 people who came in here all have this stupid power because I forgot, didn't even think anybody would want to transform themselves into a giant dick at a tea party. But apparently, you know, all these people have the turn themselves into a giant dick at a tea party flag, you know, hit, <laughs> and they got in before the cutoff or whatever, you know? I mean... I think you might I like the idea that the contracts um are very rigid and then it kind of takes people a while to figure out how to write standard boilerplate contracts that work and that anything that's not specifically enumerated in them is basically allowed by well, default. Again, there's going to be default or it goes back right? to whatever the default allowance is maybe is the better way to say that. Which which defining the defaults is like kind of something we, some work we've got to do. Yeah, but we started doing that. I think our, our basic idea for defaults is like close to, rea- close to realism with 
you know, some obvious changes for, uh, for uh, avoiding the cruelty of the natural world, like, you know, turning off death and stuff like that. Sort Uh, of like common sense, like what, you know, a a relatively benevolent, like simulator might do. Right. Exactly. Um, As like a first step. Um, right. So maybe everything defaults to those defaults if it's not enumerated. And then that might be a fun, like there might be just a ton of wrecked worlds, basically, (laughs) you know, like the wreckage of the early internet, you know, where like somebody made a website and it was great for a minute until some troll figured out how to destroy the community and then did so. And that happened many, many times, you know, and then those roles just get abandoned or maybe like somebody's stuck in them because of some mistake they made or um, somebody's still there trying to make them work uh, sort of quixotically or whatever. Um, that could be cool. Right. But I think still inherent in this idea is the idea of like, again, how sticky are the contracts? And I think a way they can be sticky is if it is possible you know, the way you can on sometimes on computers, like you can like lock yourself out of a folder, right? right? By like setting the permissions in such a way that like, or like losing access to your root user or whatever. Um, like if you can literally lock yourself out of capabilities um, and that will, like, I mean, because like, again, if I agree that you have some right when you enter my world and we both agree on that, um, and then I just change my mind and can eject you for it. Um, then that's not a, that's not a stuck to contract. Um, but if I like literally gave up the right to eject you for that somehow by like defining that and then like locking that in, in such a way that I can't change it, even when I regret it later. Mm. Yeah. Well, so it seems like you would be able to change it for new people coming into the world, but I definitely. Well, yeah, that's a new contract. Unless it's just like each world is just set literally in stone and like you get to set it up at the setup phase and then you have to just let it go. But I just feel like, you know, computers aren't like that. You can make changes on the fly. And if it's... Right, right. But but we agree about the new users. Like, I I, I think that that would be subject to change, of course. Yeah. But, But yeah, I like the idea that old people are stuck in the world with whatever they agreed to unless you can get them to agree to something new, which maybe you can't, right? Like you could say, please accept these new terms and people could be like, dismiss, right? And maybe they're still there under those circumstances since they still have the old agreement and the system has not decided that anybody's done anything wrong yet, right? Yeah, so maybe the default Maybe the default is that you, um, all the worlds by default are set up such that whatever is specified by the entrance contract, right, um, is not subject to, like, cannot be reneged on by the host of the world, unless the host of the world goes above and beyond that to, like, specify some extra rule, like, you may be ejected for any reason, subject to my whims, right? Which is like a common rule, actually, that we have in the real world, right? Like with businesses. Right. We reserve say, the like, right to, reser- to refuse service to anyone for any reason. Or exactly. So unless you have that rule very clearly specified, the default is that you do not have that, right? You just have whatever was agreed to. Right. 
Um, and maybe now that I think, becomes like a social norm where like worlds don't really grow if they don't have that because people have enough choices that they'll, they'll avoid a world that isn't like that. Well, that's interesting, right? Because like you wonder about like, yeah, would it all just trend towards having that, that like we can kick you out for any reason rule no matter what? Or would, yeah, would the preferences like demand that, that that not be included? It just depends on how much people are afraid of that. And I think that would be very cultural because it would, you know, depend on whether you'd heard of people being kicked out of their world after they got successful just because, you know, they pissed off the guy who ran the place or just because they ran afoul of some new regulation or something. And if you heard about that kind of thing, maybe you would be afraid to join a world like that. Uh, since you might waste a lot of time trying to build something that then gets, you know, taken away from you. Um, I guess if we think of it less analogous to business and more analogous to like countries, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like in a, in a m- most democratic countries, at least like they do not really reserve the right to kick you out of the country for any reason. They have to at least invent a good reason, right? Um, I mean, most countries uh, will not kick you out if you are born there uh, for any reason. I mean you know, they will put you in jail or something, but they will generally uh, acknowledge your right to live in the country. And even jail, right? Like they can't, like they can't jail you for any reason. They have to at least concoct some pretext to do it. Yeah. Right? yeah. You have to, you have to break a law and generally like you have to break a law that was on the books when you broke it and stuff like that. You know, most countries they can't, you know, like say like, well, you ate a sandwich last week. So I'm passing a law that says that, you know, if John John eating a sandwich last week was illegal, you know, you can't do stuff like that. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you can, that's right. I mean, you mostly nations have this idea that there is a natural right to live there by virtue of having been born there or something like that, having holding citizenship. Um, but since these worlds are inherently all um, immigrant they would have to have a different conception. So like a bigger world that's like highly trafficked, right? And like like an important hub, right? Economic hub. Right. Like right. let's say like a like a marketplace where people go to trade keys with each other. Sure. Um that's gonna tend towards this like more governmental style of like, no matter what, we respect certain rights. Like we won't eject you for any reason, only for this enumerated list of reasons. Right. Um a smaller world where it's just like some people having a party you'd think would trend the way that works today, which is like, yeah, if it's my party and it's five of us, I can kick you out for any reason because duh, right? Right. So I, I imagine that's how it would work here, right? would be like um, sort of the scope of what the world is trying to accomplish would dictate like how, you know, grandiose it had to be in its like, in its, you know, uh, commitment to the 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 rights of its individuals to stay there. Right, right, right. And if I'm going to a world to trade um, tips, I am much more concerned about getting kicked out than if I'm going to a world to have a party, right? Um, if I get kicked out of a party, I probably didn't want to be at that party anymore anyway. <laughs> yes, that's fair. Whereas I might still want to trade tips even if I pissed someone off or broke a law or something, you know? Right. Uh, right. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. I think the scope of it would make a huge difference as far as whether you, the user, would choose to enter any particular world. All right. So just just to summarize like what I think we've said here. Okay. I think I think this is a good set of rules. Like every every world has a host, right? Yes. 
uh, the host sets the entrance contract, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, and and that and you could also have like a later contract, like you've been in the world two hours and they they give hand you a revised contract. You don't have to sign it, but like that could happen too. Um, and those contracts, um, like whether or not they are revocable is like, or can be changed, is itself kind of a setting, right? Like, it is possible for the host to lock themselves out of something. Right. It's also possible for the visitor to lock themselves out of leaving the world uh, voluntarily. Right. And that, I think, again, is where, you know... Which can't kill you, the, but it can trap you forever, basically. Some of the high-stakes drama can come from. Well, actually, no, but see, the other thing, it could kill you, right? Because you could agree... Well, separately, you could agree to be allowed to be killed, but that's a different key that it would be asking for. That's right. So there might be a standard entrance contract that's called, like, you know, naturalistic old earth rules or something. Right. Which both allows you to be killed and prevents you from leaving. Um, right. And then you would, the, that, that makes sense. That would be the standard entrance contract for like a religious, uh, fundamentalist uh, sort of group that has recreated earth if we wanted to have a world like that right so they've painstakingly rebuilt earth exactly the way it was in 1999 you know or whatever the the pinnacle of human civilization uh according to the matrix <laughs> and uh you know if you want to enter that world you have to agree to all the rules that applied to you know, human beings in 1999 whatever those were Right, exactly. And it's unclear how popular that would be, but it probably some people would, would go there. Yeah, yeah, sure. The dream of the 90s would be alive on that world. <laughs> well, and something we have written in the document here is that, and, 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 uh, is that there would be huge network effects in this world. So, you know, if a lot of people were in New Earth, including a lot of people you cared about, then, yeah, that's a pretty big incentive to go there and agree to those rules. That's true. Um. So uh, now should, uh, we, we've talked a lot about keys, I guess, like, because we took a tangent there, like uh, the tips, right? Or the other thing. Right. So the other side of this is tips. And tips is the thing that's a little bit more abstract or hard for me to understand. But I think the best way that we've previously described this is that they're kind of like the equivalent of URLs in the future. Um, like they're addresses of some kind that point you toward a world that you might want to know about. Or they might just even be the name of a world that you can search with your assistant or something. But maybe right. To know its you know, sort of true name in order to find it easily. Uh, or maybe it's like an IP address like 192.168, you know, like that sort of, uh, you know, compute, maybe it's a computery thing. Maybe I don't know exactly what the tip will look like. Maybe it looks like a QR code. I don't know, but it's it, the information it contains is there is a world. The world is at this quote unquote location. It's, a, it's an address and you can, yeah, then you can like initiate a connection to that world the way you would a website or something. Um, so we talked about there being like a searchable directory of worlds, um, a kind of Google or Yahoo of the of the constellation. Um, right, but it's not a it's not a private company. I mean, you could have one, I guess, set up in this world. But well, I don't like, know what it is. Yeah, I just we talked about this existing. I, I guess it, are you imagining that it's something that you access through the assistant, or are you imagining that it is like 
a world you go to that some people put together that is like meant to be a catalog or I don't know. I could imagine it being any number of things. Well, so initially I was imagining that the the assistant and and just to be clear, like everybody's got, I think we're going to maybe we agreed to go with like the shorter term exec. We talked about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with that for now. We can go yeah, with without that. like detouring too hard into that, like that's sort of your, that's how you interface with this world is through this sort of like uh, conversational interface with like, uh, like a virtual assistant that's like personality less, but like does things like set up these contracts for you. Yeah. It's like um, if Siri or Cortana was God. <laughs> right. And like in your head and like private. Yeah. Um, so you've got this exec uh, that... Um, just lost my train of thought there. Like, what, what were we talking about? The we, searchable directory of right, 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 right. So my thinking was like, yeah, it was just like sort of built into the knowledge of your of your exec was like, uh, like a directory, but also a secondary like issue there is that like not every world has to be listed in the directory. Like that, that's a, something you like decide about a world when you make it is whether you want to list it or not. It always has an address. But whether that address is publicly listed is like subject to like the user's discretion. Now, right, right. So there's sort of two levels of obscurity that we're talking about here, just to be kind of super clear. There's the level of obscurity of like you can't search for something unless you know to search for it, right? So right now we're not positing that the assistant is sort of surfacing suggestions of worlds for you. I mean, it could do that, but we're not saying that it's doing that. Basically, it's searching for something like if I know that Apple makes computers and I want to find Apple's website and I don't know the name of it, I go to Google, I type in Apple and it tells me apple.com is the website that I'm looking for, right? So there's that Mm -hmm. feature. And then there's also this secondary level of obscurity, which is that that list doesn't include everything. So maybe I've heard of the infamous uh, black zone and I want to go to the black zone. But when I type black zone in or I talk to the assistant, say search for the black zone world, uh, the assistant says there is no such world. Nothing is coming up, and that doesn't. That's kind of like the equivalent would be the dark web, right, or something like that. Uh, that like there are websites that you can get to if you know where they are, but that are not listed. Um, or it's just like the setting within, uh, like you know, Google Drive or Google Docs. That's like uh, anyone with link can access. Correct. Yes. So it's not. It's not locked, right? You don't need a key, but you need the. You need the the tip. Right, because right, there could be a third thing, which is there could be completely invisible worlds that simply are not open to the public at all, and doesn't matter whether you have their address, you'll just get a, a rejection message from them. But we're not really discussing that because we're assuming those worlds are, by and large, individual people kind of living out some kind of fantasy, and they're sort of extra to the economy that we want to discuss. So the main kind of worlds we're concerned with are public worlds that are listed and then these other kind of unlisted worlds that for whatever reason either they're already too popular or um or whatever they have decided to not be made publicly available i I think we also care about well-known but private worlds right that's in the second category though right the unlisted ones those ones are are well-known they would take their listing out right or or no no, 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 they're listed, but you need a you need a key. Right, right. They're listed. They're just um, they're just very r- restricted. So uh, you can say to the thing, look up uh, the uh, the name of this world, and it says, oh yeah, it's here. Uh, 
do you want to go? You say, yes. It says, oh, they won't let you. You need this or that key, or you need to do this or that thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, exactly. So, like, right. all of those things But that would, would still possible. come up in the search results. It's just, that's the equivalent of, like, you go to uh, a website and it says you have to log in. Right? Right. Now, the, now the question I want to come back to is, is, it, is this cleanest and most interesting... Uh, with that initial conception where it's like the directory is just built into your exec. Um, I'm leaning that way. Or is it like, like you said, somebody built a directory world on top of this base system. Right. Right. Like someone decided like, I'm going to catalog. Someone's, someone literally decided to build Google when they woke up in the simulation, basically. Right. Right. Or for some reason, I keep imagining this as like the old Yahoo, like the original Yahoo, which was not a search engine exactly. It was literally a catalog. Like they just went to every website back in those days when you could do that, figured out which category it should go in in their giant list of categories. And then you would click down through the categories and then you'd get a a manageable list of every website in that category. You know, I mean... I don't know. For some reason, I've been sort of imagining it as like a kind of gigantic version of that. More than like Google where you type a word and then it guesses what you mean. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's more interesting. Um, what I think this does matter, though. <laughs> I'm about to take us uh, someplace. Maybe we don't want to go, so we can ignore this if you want to. But um, uh it matters, I think, because it matters for like how long it's been um, since the event that caused the simulation to start. Because um, in order for people to travel around and painstakingly swap tips with one another and sort of discover all the worlds that could be listed in the first place, seems like it would take some time if the assistant wasn't assisting in that. Um, so this is something I think we should actually just think through at some point, maybe not today, but like, okay, so when everybody woke up in this thing, let's say it was 7 billion, you know, people or whatever woke up in this thing. Um, how long, you know, how many of those people then figured out to make publicly accessible worlds and just start to reach out and, um, like, how did that all happen, basically? Was it facilitated by the exec or not? And so, yeah, I don't know. I That's do have some, some thoughts on how that plays out, right? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I, I, again, there, there, at some point we're going to figure out, you know, what exactly is the welcome speech here? Like, right? Like, what exactly were people told when they woke up in this world? Um, but I think, you know, they, some basic things were explained to them, like, you can make worlds. Right. Like, you okay. Can make so this them, is like part of their intro right away. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think some, some that they could do that and maybe that they could list them or not. Mm-hmm. And, um, if you want and that you could access that list. So then like, that's how people started finding each other. Right. Right. Like, right. Right. People, that's, sorry. That, that's exactly what I was starting to think is that militates toward the world where the assistant has the list. Right. Yeah, I guess that has to be the case, right? Because otherwise, people would just never find each other. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. And this is sort of where I'm getting at. I don't know that we should do this, but it's just interesting for me to think about it for a minute. Is like, what if they weren't told that when they woke up? Um, 
and they were left to sort of figure out on their own the question of like, I mean, most people would ask, I think, fairly quickly, where's everyone else, right? I mean, that would probably be something you'd ask the assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they got an answer like, well, everyone's sort of somewhere like you are, but for them. Um, and then maybe you have to think of the next question, which is like, well, what do I do if I want to see them? You know, <laughs> like, let's, you know, like, how do I visit my mom or whatever? And, uh, and, uh, then maybe it says, well, you know, um, you can make your world public, you know, or whatever. Maybe it, maybe it, it like, maybe it's something that you have to sort of tease out of it through your desires. Um, and if that's the case, then maybe it would take people not forever, but like a little while to figure out the idea that you can, you know, like first people just start visiting their friends and family members and loved ones. And then, uh, somebody is like, I want to throw a party. How do I throw a party? Maybe I can throw a party by like making a world for it. And then it sort of starts, you know, that person sort of starts to work through that process. And um, once everybody realizes they can travel to, you know, this party world, then people get the idea like, oh, we can make worlds for all kinds of things and travel to them. And that idea grows for a while. And then you start to have so many worlds that it's like people can't remember all the worlds and somebody's like, we need to make some kind of directory of worlds and like that becomes a thing. You know what I mean? Like I could, I could see this growing out from, out from it as well. Yeah. No, look, I, look, I agree with all of that and it's very similar to what I was picturing in my head. This, and this kind of like sort of Socratic dialogue with your exec where you like slowly piece it together and people slowly come together and build social norms on top of this system. Right, right. But it just feels um, slower. Right, right. I mean, you know, well, it just depends the speed of it, right? Like how yeah. much is front loaded in that welcome speech versus has to be like drawn out of the exec. Right. Um, I think is subject to our discussion here. But also, I don't think that affects maybe the direct question though, because like even in the situation that you painted, there still has to be a listing, right? Like like if I ask the exec, like, where's my mom? How do I visit her? And it says, well, you can make your world public and, I, and wait for her to, to make her world public. Then, okay, like maybe you both make your worlds public, but then somehow you have to be able to look up their world, right? Uh, or you never connect. There still has to be like an address somewhere that you can acquire via only knowing someone's name. Well, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I guess (laughs) this brings up another question, which I don't want to get into in depth right now, but it just, it does bring it up, which is like, what is the communication ability between worlds, if there is any? Um, So if, if you say, I want to pass a message to, you know, my mom, then the thing says, well, you can't do that. Uh, messages can only be passed um, within a world. Uh, but yeah, you can, one option is like, there is a listing. It is currently blank. You can list your world on the listing and your mom will have access to this listing as well. So maybe she shows up some days, maybe she doesn't. Um, right? I mean, there wouldn't be any way for you to like call that other world and be like, come to this world. 
unless we decide there's communication between the worlds. Which so, I, there, you know, well, actually, you know, the other thing is like, we're talking about worlds as entities. And I think we should keep, continue to build things out with like worlds as like the core entity that matters. Like that's sort of how we started this. We were talking about grounding like the, the keys mostly in the entrance contract. And I think that's good for the story. Like mm-hmm. I think that's a good organizing principle. Mm-hmm. But then this raises the issue of like our users. I mean, obviously the users are entities in this world, right? Um, they have, they exist clearly and they have mm-hmm. preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, do users have addresses independent of worlds? I kind of like the idea that maybe they don't. That like you're right. I like also maybe, like the idea that they don't like similar to the structure of the internet. The user can only be like a subset of the a sub a s- set is the wrong term, but a sub thing of the of the domain. You know, like the world contains the user. Right. So There's, every world can have a directory within it of like the users currently in that world. Right. But that's, and like, there could be email within that world, right? Right. But from user to user, if they if they choose to set that up. Right. Um, but yeah, there's no, like, user that exists independently of a world. Yeah, right, I think... Right, right, Like, the user is like a consciousness in a file somewhere on a computer, and it only is like a being when it's instantiated in one of these worlds. Right. Basically. So, so again, if I want to find, like, my relative... Yeah. Right. Then I need to know, like, somehow I need to be able to say to the exec, like, you know, like, find, find my relative's world if it's public. And that implies a basic search feature for worlds. So I, I, I think we keep ending up at a place where there has to be like a baseline, um, not sophisticated directory and search feature that's built in. That basically, like, maybe every world can have, like, a sort of outward-facing sort of static message, you know, that's like a title, uh, and then, you know, maybe some text about it. Um, or it doesn't even have to be text, right? I mean, there's no reason in this world it has to be text-based. But, like, right, um, an outward-facing message that is, like, it's public-facing broadcast of itself. Right. Again, it, that doesn't have to be turned on. Again, you could be unlisted, but if it's right. listed, that's what ha- what it is represented as, and then that has to be like searchable by the exec and, you know, it's probably a pretty good AI that's in this exec. So Right, right, right. Um if your if your mom has at all like mentioned her name anywhere in her like outward facing message, then you're going to find it. Right, right, right. And I would even buy that like the the exec knows which people are like people you knew before and can, you know, surface their stuff higher in the list or something. You know, I mean, I feel like I would buy that the AI is pretty sophisticated. I guess it's like, yeah, it's basically just you and the person you're talking to both have to have set up on the world um the correct rules so that one of you can find the other and um come into their world. Well, and related to this, like we've talked about, and this is definitely not a topic we want to go into now in, in like full bore, right? Is the idea that like some people just don't figure that out, right? Or they choose not to figure that out, right? Some people just never list themselves. And to everyone else, that looks like they vanished, right? Um, they didn't vanish, but they're not accessible. 
Right. Yeah, we do have to get into this discussion of like the missings and if we're going to um have that be something that is mysterious to people or something that people just understand and are over because uh that's definitely something that like other media has addressed, you know, like the leftovers obviously is is all about that. Um I think it's like I like it this way because he I like it where it's just a clearly understood like logical extrapolation from the fact that if you have to voluntarily list yourself, if that's the rule we're going to go with. Right. Some people won't. Right. Like it, that's going to be a filter on yeah. some people. Like some people are going to go crazy or they're going to be scared or they're going to be too like dumb or like technologically unsavvy to figure this very simple thing out right yeah or they're gonna Um, engineer their own sort of heaven and just live yeah right and and uh i definitely think it would be interesting to have a character who is searching for someone else um and you know perhaps they have (laughs) perhaps they have a wrong idea about why that person is uh missing you know um interesting it's a little bit similar to like deadheading in the doctor o universe yeah it's like yeah or, or, or yeah wireheading or whatever you want to uh or, or right. it's more like well it's more like deadheading is like you're literally unconscious right uh yeah i think in that one you're like cryonically suspended so yeah it's more like wireheading i guess although you know maybe you would be unconscious i mean that's a possibility too right you could um probably set yourself to sleep for indefinite amounts of time uh yeah right to control your your consciousness just like we talked about with sarah perry right and uh, and instead of instead of dying you just set yourself to wake up every century and like sort of check in on things and see if you want to participate or not or something like that you know you could uh it's be like a less permanent way of committing suicide (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah yeah but you'd also be able to negative of it i mean i'm kidding it's a little a little bit but but you'd also be able to commit suicide. In, yes, in this you could also well. literally commit suicide if you wanted to, because uh, you have admin rights over your own file. So basically, you can delete your file, um, and that is that. It's interesting. Like I have like there's sort of like two things going on in my mind as I'm trying to figure out these rules, right? Mm-hmm. Like on the one hand, it's kind of like we're engineering like a utopia <laughs> in a way. Right, because it's like you We're know, trying, okay, yeah. what what is it? What is a stable set of rules that sounds like you know a first approximation of something that uh, a reasonable simulation designer would come up with? That like you know took as valuable like individual autonomy, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side of my brain is like, yeah, but I want to make like a cruel, cruel world to torture my characters in because that's what makes for good drama. So it's like it's there's sort of conflicting goals in a way. Well, I, think like, I mean, I'll just try to push you toward the idea that it's it's an indifferent world and it's the people who are cruel. <laughs> because yeah, no, I think I think ultimately if it's not that. Then we get bicycle dystopia. That's the failure mode for you know wanting drama and not holding yourself to a uh, really strong who benefits kind of. Um, uh, right, Bicycle World, by the way, is a reference to the second Black Mirror episode, right? Oh yeah, Bicycle Dystopia is. My, I don't think I mean, people know what that means. Black Mirror <laughs> season one, episode two. Watch it, and you will know why I call it Bicycle Dystopia. It's 
uh, my least favorite Black Mirror of all. Well, and several times in our Review the Future history, we've talked about this problem of like cruelty that has no like logical basis for existing. And and yeah, that's a good clarification you're making. Like I'm not, when I say the world, like I have the urge to make the world cruel, I don't mean like in the sense that like it's literally the world itself. I just more like I want to leave open these edge cases and loopholes and possibilities for drama. Right, like, right. Things like where you could get locked inside of a world. If I was actually engineering utopia, I'd probably say you can't get trapped in someone else's world. Um, although I don't know. I mean, there's an argument that like in a utopia, people should be able to make decisions that have co- extreme consequences. Yeah, like that, I think you shouldn't be able to. <laughs> it's trapped is a tough world because trapped implies somebody laid the trap for you. Um, so maybe in a true utopia. Like there would be some kind of justice angel that would come down and be like, okay, you got tricked by this other guy, so we're gonna let you go. But um, but you should definitely have the right to yourself, absent any tricking, should you be, I don't know, depressed or something, uh, do destructive uh things, right? I mean, that feels like a principle we definitely want to keep. Um and that should lead you to some pretty good um dramatic situations. Right. Freedom implies like freedom to 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 fuck yourself. Exactly. Over. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, yeah, I think we can rec- reconcile those two things. I I I I'm sure they'll be at odds in some cases, but I like these two I like having these two metrics at the front of my mind as like when we're trying to decide like is this a good rule or a bad rule? I feel like those are like two of the first reasonable questions to ask like would would a utopia designer ever choose this and and two like what does it mean for for dramatic potential right 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 because we don't want to actually produce utopia and have a boring story (laughs) right and neither do we want to have a a mindless cruelty we want to have like mindful intentional cruelty (laughs) that (laughs) it comes from conflicting uh incentives and desires you know yeah i mean that's like where I think we have the best chance of doing something that is like genuinely speculative and also still relatable to our readers. <laughs> All right. So let me, uh, why don't we wrap this up? And yeah. I, I want to just, if you don't mind, I'm going to summarize like what I think we agree to here. Okay. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is maybe, maybe this is a good way to generally end these things. Okay. So, so every world has a, has a host, right? Yes. Uh, so the next point is um, the host sets an entrance contract for the world, which people have to sign upon entering. The host and the visitor are both capable of locking themselves out of something, right? So a host can lock themselves out of the ability to change an entrance contract when they want to. And um, a visitor can lock themselves out of the ability to leave when they want to, for example. Uh, worlds default to unlisted. Right, so you have to. Everyone who is interacting with someone else at some point chose to list themselves, and that creates a filter where maybe some people aren't around or visible. And there is some kind of crude, very basic directory built into your exec, which is how people initially found each other. So that uh, that concludes episode two, and uh, yeah, until until next time, people. We still don't have a sign off. So yeah, we haven't worked that out yet. But we might come back and record it later, so maybe you won't hear this. (laughs) So, So for now, just we're saying goodbye. This has been Constellation, Making the Graphic Novel. 
Our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.